Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagney, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's time to light the fuse. Welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornis. With me, as always, is Fred, the Heat Magnet Moreland. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. How about yourself? You know, we have a new gimmick now where you just try to pop me with these little uh, little names that you can put underneath in StreamYard. And yeah. th- this, is, this is just going to be fun because I think next week you're going to be even more creative. Yeah, I'll see what I can come up with. I give it exactly 30 seconds of thought, and, uh, you know, that's probably not enough for anything good. But, hey, hey how about that dynamite, of, man? As a lot of dads will tell you, 30 seconds is really all you need. That's so, true. Um, no, what what a dynamite. Um, Tony Khan heard all the slander that, that you sent his way for the last pay-per-view cycle and told you to fuck off. Because good. this this week of television is tremendous. And if I need to bully a billionaire into booking good wrestling, if that's like what it takes, I'm happy to take that role. Yeah. Like, um, I have literally no, uh, no concerns about doing that whatsoever. I will be mean to a rich person. That's what it takes. <laughs> I think voices of wrestling has taken that in uh, tenfold. Cause we know, uh, Joe Lanza has done plenty of dynamite burials and, and yeah. we know, and it's even been referenced that it's, it, it's gotten to Tony Khan before, as far as uh, he has heard the words and he has not been very happy. So let, let's, let's start here. We've been talking about this dumbass for the better part of the last nine months. Oh boy. Yeah. CM Punk is officially back. Um, yep. and I start the clock, a- baby. <laughs> He was announced for the debut episode of Collision on June 17th, and we knew it. Um, everybody knew it because it, it's at the United Center of Chicago. But I think this announcement is very important, Fred, because not only is are they doing like the second da- version of the first dance where Punk is returning to the company, but ticket sales were trending way behind the first dance, which to be expected, it's a mm-hmm. completely different scenario. And yeah. And the that wow factor is just not there. But announcing him says ticket sales were not going very well. And I don't really have an issue with this. Um, I I think it was a good pivot to make immediately. Uh, because like if you make it like in two weeks, it's like okay, now you're just you're blatantly trying to just sell tickets. But I think oh, yeah. this is more of a signal of hey. You can at least argue we're giving you a series of announcements. First, it was Collision. Then it was Chicago. Then it was CM Punk. And then next week, you can start Forbidden Door announcements. So it's almost like you're getting a little bit of something every week where it feels like a structured idea rather than a panic move. And I think that doing it now 
was the really smart play and kudos to Tony Khan for doing so. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm glad they're not doing the uh, trying to do the wink, wink. Everyone knows it's coming thing when it feels like one, a lot of people don't know uh, because I think there's still a lot of questions. uh, At least recently there were about CM's uh, status in the company and two, um, it just gets down to business and that's kind of nice to do sometimes, especially after nine months of uh, really, he said, he said kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, but we know it's coming. Uh, we'll see if we get there because God knows it's not impossible. Something will happen, but I think we will. Uh, I think it's going to happen and, uh, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. Uh, there's all this, these rumors of a brand split, you know, exactly what that means. I don't think we're exactly getting like 2005 post draft, uh, raw versus SmackDown t-shirt battle Royal kind of gimmickry, but yeah, um, it'll it's a it's going to be a very interesting month. And I think what makes it even more interesting is the fact that Forbidden Door is right around the corner. And I I'm not going to say it was blatantly intentional that Dominion was moved up about a week, but if that, I believe that's the case because it just makes sense. Dominion has always been either like June 9th or June 12th. So by moving it up to June 4th you get an entire extra dynamite and potentially an extra rampage in order to help build this card and give more time for these stories to marinate. And if that ended up being why the decision was made, kudos to new Japan and AEW for trying to make a much better uh, pay-per-view show. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a very exciting build. Um, there's a lot of questions about who exactly is facing who. Uh, we don't have any information at this point, I don't think. Uh, I think we got a pretty heavy clue that, uh, you know, last night that uh, we're definitely getting someone from Japan. Um, I think there's two different routes it could go, and both are very interesting. We'll get to that in a, at the appropriate time in the recap. Um, but, yeah, I think it... Um, I don't know. It's a very exciting time in AEW, and I think it's been the first time in several months you can say that, I think, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, we, we just got through a pretty bummer uh, pay-per-view cycle. Uh, not exactly a great pay-per-view all around. Um, and uh, this is a nice, uh, nice return to the AEW we know and love. Yes, and uh, I'm going to drop this for you, Fred. By the end of the show, I'm going to force you to give me your uh, a few card predictions for Forbidden Door. No oh boy, okay. I, I think I think it's going to be fun to kind of see, hey, what we think is going to happen now versus what we what will actually happen because we we we've seen seeds planted for a couple things, but we genuinely just don't know. And I think that'll be fascinating to look back on. But uh, let's. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about CM Punk before we move on. How, what is your general tone of how you think things are going to go here? Um, you know, that have... reaction, the reaction to the announcement was very interesting from the crowd. You got a pretty big, like, unanimous pop initially off the big announcement, and then it kind of devolved into uh, mixed baggage. It, it, was, it was like they announced a brand new Mountain Dew flavor, and you're like, all right, this rules. And then you realize it's elderberry and plum. It's like, oh. We'll see how this goes. Razor blades in every other bottle. 
Uh, speaking of razor blades, good old Switchblade had one, his arguably his best segment on AEW television. We'll get to that. Well, finally, they let the guy that can cut promos cut a promo. It's weird how uh, that helps. Look, I'll say this: we all knew he was a great fit for American television, but his fit on American television is even better than we thought. That he's he he just fits like a glove. Like uh, man. I would have loved him cutting promos against Dusty Rhodes in the 80s. That would have yeah. been just tremendous stuff. Um, AEW's got a number of guys that arguably would have been better off in the 80s. It's very interesting. I think him and Wardlow um, are two pretty strong candidates. Hey, they even have one who was better in the 80s in Sting. Yeah. Although, I don't <laughs> know. He's, he's pretty great as the old man that jumps off stuff. <laughs> So. Is is there anything better in professional wrestling right now, Fred, than Tony Schiavone marking out like a five year old kid when Sting comes out? Because I don't. No, think there is. I don't. I don't think there is. Um, and it, it was, uh, you know, I, we talked about this on the pay per view recap a little bit, but uh, the happiness of Tony Schiavone is just so nice in contrast to uh, Grumpy Jim Ross that we have these days. I, I'm just he's catching strays on the show, I know, but it, like last night just really drove it back home. And uh, I, I never would have predicted that if these two guys were back in wrestling in the 2020s, that Shivani would be a, so much better than Ross. But here we are. Listen, um, I think Tony Shivani is in the absolute perfect role for him because we know that, um, I, you know, he did at the start of diet of AEW that he was doing a bunch of Georgia stuff, like calling baseball and basketball. I don't know if he does football on the radio if he if he does that then you're also looking at hey he'll probably never be on collision so yeah. something to at least be mindful of especially with college basketball because almost every college team plays on saturday mm-hmm. so just something to keep in mind yep but he's he's just in the perfect role he's he gets to have fun he gets to talk to wrestlers and his additions on commentary are minimal and I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, Excalibur kind of dominates the mic as he should because he calls the action. But he, yeah. he just chimes in with good nuggets, and uh, he's just this endearing uncle, and it's yeah. it's just so wholesome. I love it. Uh, did Did you know that he won an AP award for some Georgia Bulldogs work, like for um, best sports in two thousand four? That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. I just learned yeah. that. So. Yeah, uh, Tony Schiavone is a tremendous broadcaster in general, uh, and that's why he's he's been around in the business for so long. Because I think he started with uh, Jim Crockett in what, like eighty five, eighty six, something oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, just a, a wide eyed early twenties guy with the killer mustache. I mean, <laughs> I wish I could grow a mustache like that. That would be tremendous. But this just does not grow thick enough yet. Uh, yeah. let, let's move on to some other news because I think we could talk about Uncle Tony all day. Um, so Meltzer did not have official numbers on double or nothing, but per our own Sean Cedar at voices of wrestling, uh, he mentions that, uh, Dave said movie theaters were up a bit. Streaming was about the same paper, traditional pay-per-view is down slightly, but the numbers were similar to last year's and last year did about 155,000 buys. Fred, how much does this number surprise you? Because I think we could take this two ways. The company is overall down a little bit compared to last year. Obviously, they were still super hot because of CM Punk. The build was not great. Mm -hmm. But 
the last pay-per-view was arguably by some the greatest American wrestling pay-per-view of all time. And this company has consistently been delivering with tremendous pay-per-views. How do you, how do you view this number? It's a very interesting number. And honestly, I think it's kind of a surprise. I, I expected it to fall off some, uh, like maybe 130s, 140s. Not a disaster or anything. Uh, like I saw somebody, like I, I, I think uh, Dave Meltzer got sassy with someone on Twitter, unsurprisingly, uh, because they were like, oh, this pay-per-view isn't even going to do 100,000 buys. And I feel like that's entirely too pessimistic for what AEW mm-hmm. is in general right now. Uh, but I would not have been surprised by a, a five-figure drop-off, you know, low five-figures of some sort. Uh, to hear that it was a virtual match, uh, at least according to very early numbers, uh, that was surprising to me. Um, I, I don't, hopefully it's not taken as a uh, reinforcement of, the, you know, how some things were done here. But uh, I, I think it's hard to take it as a real negative. The fact they were able to match that, I mean, at least it's a, uh, my read on it is AEW at least is uh, stabilized in popularity. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think that there has been a drop off uh, since uh, Brawl Out. I think uh, maybe a little bit before that, um, but I think it's stable. I don't think it's falling off anymore. I think you could argue that maybe it will increase. We'll see how the summer goes. Uh, I think they're definitely set up for a surge in popularity. We'll see how you know how that all works out. Uh, but yeah, this was um, this was a little bit of a surprise. I think. Yeah, I was a little surprised. I didn't think they would quite get to 155. If I had to take a guess, um, I would have guessed around 130. On the lower end of what some of these cards have done, because I believe and uh, the initial Double or Nothing in 2019 did 110,000 buys, which I believe was more than every any TNA pay-per-view ever. Yes, and I think TNA talked about it 100 big big deal was made about the fact that they got that high of a number yeah. uh, look you do 150,000 buys on pay-per-view um i don't it's still a success did they mm-hmm. put enough butts in the seats in the venue no like, that's inarguable um they at least steered out of a, a total attendance disaster i think you can yeah. say um, um the show was relatively papered and yeah. it's not necessarily a bad thing to have um a papered crowd because you get people in the building and obviously no matter what, you're going to have comp tickets. You're going to have media getting seats. You're going to have wrestlers who want uh, tickets for friends and family. Like yeah. for example, John Moxley and Renee Paquette live in Las Vegas. You, you got to think that they had a few, t- a few friends in the stands. Probably, like, yeah. It's those little things. And those aren't bad. Yeah. Like everybody does it. It's not an AEW thing. It's a WWE thing. It's, it's a wrestling thing. thing. It's also a, a professional sports thing. I went yeah, to sure. a Vikings Packers game in 2021. My dad won tickets at the Minnesota State Fair, believe it or not. <laughs> we sat in the same section as the players' wives. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's a thing. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. But it, it's just something to be mindful of. Um, hundred. If they end up at 155, which is the same as last year, that's a massive win for AEW considering – all the surrounding noise with this pay-per-view cycle. For sure, yeah. Hard to take it as anything but a positive. Absolutely. This was really cool. Um, Bandito was dressed as El Chapulín Colorado, a character from 1970s Mexican TV played by Chesperito, a superhero parody. Now, I don't know about you, Fred. I've seen this show. 
Uh, I, no, I, I'm familiar with, uh, I'm aware of Chess Burrito. I, I learned about him when he died a few years ago, but. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, so when I was in Spanish class in high school, we watched some Mexican programming um, from Mexican television. And this was one of the shows we watched because it was relatively easy to follow along. And if, if you're a native English speaker, when you watch Spanish like television, especially when like you're watching professional wrestling, it feels like they're speaking a million miles oh, an yeah. hour. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that just has to do with the fact that you're not used to the language. And I bet that they probably feel the same way about us. And I don't blame them one bit. But this this was a show that they spoke slowly enough where we could at least try to pick up on some of the words. Um, we watch this in a bunch of kids shows um, because kids shows are really easy to follow along with. And it wasn't too bad. Uh, so I, th- I thought this was really cool. I recognized it right away. I'm like, oh, I know that. But I, <laughs> I my brain couldn't quite process it right away. Yeah. And then when I think it was Kevin Hare mentioned in our office Slack. I'm like, oh, I've seen that. Yeah. And I, I, th- I thought it was really cool. I don't know the rhyme or reason of why Bandito was wearing that like what this had significance was it like, like why this week an anniversary of his passing was it a special day um i i we don't know that but i do think just as an overall thing that it was pretty cool and all the credit in the world to brian danielson he's like if you dress up as a superhero to fight the blackpool combat club you're gonna get your ass kicked like yeah. <laughs> the ultimate professional and i mentioned the office like and i kind of got bullied for it is current day Brian Danielson outside of the ring. And I meant this like as current day, better than current day Brian Danielson inside the ring. Cause we know he has a hand in creative. We know that how, how great he's been as, as a talker, as a commentary guy. Like to me, I don't think it's an absolute anymore. He's so good in all those little nuanced things. Uh, I, I think you're a little crazy to be honest, uh, just because like I, the MJF match alone this year, I think kind of proves he's still an all time great worker. Like he's still at, at it, not at the height of his powers, but he's still able to have really fantastic high level matches, but he is really good at all this other stuff. And, and it's funny because the knock on him early in his career was that he didn't have charisma. He couldn't cut a promo and, uh, he's fantastic at those things. Now he, he's, a uh, I think he's got a great mind for the business. I'm hopeful that he is a lifer. You know, I think he wants to spend time with his family a lot, which is obviously great. But I think uh, if we can keep him around for years on a like once a week schedule or something, just to have him contribute or have him work remotely or anything, I think that would be a boon for the wrestling business wherever he ends up. Yeah, I, I, I'm probably a little crazy. I mean, let's be honest. The only reason you're doing the show with me is I'm a little off my rocker. But it, I, I do, th- I, I do think it's it's something that should at least we should at least keep in the back of our mind, and not an insult to his wrestling work, but just how good he is outside of the ring. No, I, I thought he was a contender for promo of the year last year, um, and I, I would be shocked if he isn't this year too. Um, he's just really, he really has developed into one of the great all time all around talents, and I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for what he does outside of the ring. In turn, outside of matches, at least, um, he's a super talent, and uh, we're very lucky to have him around. Uh, it's great that he's back in wrestling, uh, as far as like an active participant, and uh, 
it's we're all very fortunate to have him around and i hope we all appreciate just how good he is and how lucky we are to be able to watch him yeah um he is he's something else and the fact that he uh he was wasted so much in his wwe run i will never ever 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 forgive vince mcmahon for screwing him up i mean i won't forgive him for a lot of things but <laughs> yeah. as far as just a professional wrestling thing this is probably his most egregious act. You know, that's a good argument. Uh, you know, we could probably talk about that some because I think we also see uh, like Claudio is is so much better in AEW than he was in WWE. And uh, he's not even necessarily getting pushed that much harder, but he's just in a, in a position where he's able to uh, make use of his strengths a whole lot more. And uh, it's not, you know, not having to be filtered through some goofy Vince idea. You know, it's just let's have the strong badass guy be a strong badass. And shockingly, that works a lot better for him than uh, the awkward we the people gimmick or any of that stuff. But Yeah. Uh, you know, we should do a special episode where we we rank like the top. Um, Vince McMahon is an absolute moron um, pushes or lack thereof, because I think that that could be a really fun episode just talking about the mistakes he made and not pushing talents as a booker because the the first of 20 special episodes uh, uh just narrowing it down to 10 i think it would be difficult enough oh it would be I, yeah really hard i i do think that would make make a fun episode even though we are an all elite wrestling podcast but let's let's uh keep moving forward um i think we need to talk about this next even though it's kind of out of order for how we normally do things we need to talk about this rampage lineup for friday Oh man, um, it's killer! It's it's phenomenal. So I I want to introduce this twofold. They they kind of they introduce this almost like a night of champions, but I I don't remember the exact verbiage they used. And maybe you can oh, look I can it get up that. Like, yeah, I'll get that real quick. Um, it, and it feels like a battle of the belts, but it's just the rampage. It is not battle of the belts. It's a good um, battle of the belts. <laughs> yes. Um, this is what battle of the belts should be. Championship um, Friday is what they're calling it. Championship Friday, and it's aptly named the Triple A Mega Champion El Hijo del Vikingo defense against Dralistico and Commander. Um, yes, please. Um, ROH T, uh, Pure Champion. You have yeah, it wrong. Sorry, I screwed that up. Fred. How My dare bad. you? Um, My, the, the wrong of the 18 uh, Tony Khan championships. This is what gets you fired. So, yeah, uh, um, it's been a pleasure. Um, ROH Pure <laughs> Champion Cassiori Shibata. Against the Lee Moriarty. Like, Moriarty's going to lose, and he loses pretty much every time he's in the ring. But it doesn't matter right now. because he, In, he's in three years, what? five years, he could really be something. I, I'm high on him, so. Yeah. Um, I, you know what? I, I'm going to put this out there because kind of his gimmick. I would love to him, him to see him do a Black Tiger gimmick in New Japan as like an extra kind of thing. Yeah, that, or, yeah. Obviously, you know, he comes out with the, the tiger mask anyways, and it's kind of like, oh, you're really putting two and two together, huh? But you give him an opportunity to show a different element of charisma and develop him in that way and get him in front of those Japan crowds. And I think it could be a lot of fun. I think it could be really good for his development, and it would give Japan, New Japan, a different character to continue to grow and they would be able to grow the legacy of black tiger a character they haven't had on their tv outside of a couple bit appearances from rocky romero in a long time yeah it's been a 
Been a while. Um, yeah, I. Uh, that would be pretty cool. Um, you know, I think Lee has a has a very high ceiling, though. Um, I think he can be a, a superstar guy, and uh, honestly, uh, you know, the guy that I'm not saying that they're on the same level talent wise, but he does remind me a little bit of very early Brian Danielson. Ooh, uh, I don't want to. I'm not saying. I'm not saying I got that kind of. Uh, I don't think he's he's that that good, but like I think Lee's a very talented guy in the ring. I think he's got the brains for the business, and I think uh, you know if he can develop it, he could turn into a very uh, very good all around worker. Mm-hmm. So uh, we also have New Japan Television Champion Zack Saber Junior versus Action Andretti, and I'll be honest, this is my favorite match on the card. Oh boy! And really? JPW Strong Women's Champion Willow Nightingale versus Emi Sakura. Look. And I know um, the guys are jumping bomb audio. Uh, Taylor and Kelly have been like just annoyed that Emmy has not been on television. They're a hundred percent right. Like I understand that her gimmick's a little wonky and it maybe it's just something that just resonates more in Japan than it is in America. Like the Freddie Mercury thing. I don't don't even know if she's still doing that. She's not really doing that anymore. Uh, Remember that she had, she had that very good uh, match with, um, uh, Sky Blue, I think it was a few weeks ago, uh, a couple months ago now, actually, on a rampage that I, I was there live for, and uh, it was way better than it should have been. Uh, Sakura, I, I understand like why she has a hard time cracking TV for AW just because of her age and the depth that is in front of her, uh, but she's still pretty damn good. Yeah, and I, I think that matches like this are super important for willow because willow has a really high ceiling she's already she i don't want to say she lucked into being the first strong women's champion but let's be honest i think i think she she kind of lucked into it and it's it's not luck in the sense like oh i won three hundred dollars in pull tabs it's luck of oh crap this awful thing happened to mercedes monet and i happen to just be a beneficiary of it but i will say they played it off extremely well. If only the ref had been had uh, kind of keyed in uh, when it should when it did happen, because I thought they handled it as well as they possibly could. And Willow and I want to give Tony Khan some props because he during the media call he got super annoyed. That, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. why is Willow Nightingale getting a push? Why aren't you pushing her? Um, I gave her to new japan because i thought she would be a great fit there like it's just all-time stuff but willow has this bailey baby face energy Mm -hmm. and she's growing in ring she's got a great look she's got charisma and she just needs to continue working with some really talented professionals and getting matches against people like emi sakura who has trained dozens upon dozens of wrestlers I think it's just going to be phenomenal for, to continue developing her. And I'm arguably looking forward to this match more than any other on the card because I want to can, I want to see her and I want to watch her development closely. Yeah, I think uh, I think she has a very high ceiling and uh, hopefully she's able to reach that. So fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, Fred, let's get to this show. Um, would Do you think it would be too much to call this show a a top five dynamite of all time oh no i i wouldn't go that high this was not a 10 out of 10 dynamite to me 
Uh, this was a not really nice eight out of ten, in my opinion. Which is, I mean, you are such a hater. Yeah, I'm a terrible person. Uh, well, we knew but, that. I'm just going yeah, to admit it now. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. Um, but yeah, I thought this this wasn't a perfect uh, dynamite, but vibes wise, this was a great follow up to uh, uh, great answer, great response, however you want to put it to what we have had going on in this company for the past couple months. Tony Khan heard you were whining and told you to sh- cram it up your cram hole, Lafleur, uh, and just great stuff. Um, let's just get right into it, Fred. Yeah, because because um, they did too. Oh yeah, uh, trios match right away. Blackpool Combat Club with ROH World Champion Claudio Castanoli, John Moxley, and Rilly Yuta versus the ROH World Tag Team Champions Lucha Brothers and Bandito. This was awesome. There was like okay, I will say the the bandito spot where he held up Wheeler Yuta for a sixty count was 60 one count, cool, maybe. two really stupid because it just it. I'm sorry, there's it, it breaks breaks my kayfabe at a certain point that Wheeler Yuta after like forty five seconds isn't just gonna flail and get down because you can tell oh. like it was a struggle and three. Kudos to Claudio Castagnoli because he tried to bite Bandito's calf to get to get Yuta down. I missed that. that oh was, man, that's great. That, that was awesome. Um, but that was really I cool. Believe it, I believe it was Phoenix who was holding on to him. Um, it was either Phoenix or Penta. I may be uh, getting them wrong because they were holding both Moxley and Claudio. Ends up pulling him back, so he and he's just trying. It just great stuff. Awesome. But that's really great. He's a freak strength wise, and mm-hmm. I thought I thought this was really cool. Um, one thing that they pumped up, and it's something we talked about on the review show. Wheeler Yuta got the pin, and that doesn't mean nothing. That means something. Oh, they're and pushing I him. Think this is the start of his big push, in my yeah. opinion. I don't know what that big push is going to mean. I hope it means he wins like the TNT title or maybe the international title because I don't think he's going to go for the big belt yet. I think. Uh, maybe he does a TV program with MJF after like all in an all out, because I don't know if you're going to do a TV program this summer because it could end up be defending hit at forbidden door and then all in and all out. Like that's three title matches within three months. So you could argue that they don't want to do a program in between, but I think they're heating him up and he gets the win here again. Um, the seatbelt clutch, I think, is just a tr- it's a tremendous finisher because it's so difficult to get out of with the, how the arms are positioned, and then he grabs the legs so you can't flail as much. Yeah, and it, it's something that you can beat everybody with because oh, he just got caught, and you can at least in kayfabe describe it, and like he beat Omega with it. Well, obviously you had Takeshita then turn. Oh sure, but yeah. If you if you would have just beat Omega clean in the center of the ring with it, you could at least. For Omega, be like, oh, Wheeler just caught him. Nobody kicks out of the seatbelt clutch. Okay. Right. It, it's it's like a roll-up, but it's a super-powered roll-up where it's mm-hmm. not a cheeky win, but you can also, like, talk your way out of it with somebody who's being really, really heavily pushed, and you're still giving credit to Yuta. It's, it's this really cool dichotomy of making sure all of your wrestlers get pushed. And, I like, honestly... Have Jay White beat Ricky Starks with the seatbelt clutch. That's how yeah, you do it. You could do that for sure. Uh, I do think that um, one of the cooler aspects of AEW is it's a sneaky uh, roll-up company. 
because uh, you've got this, you've got the Last Supper for Darby, you've got the Mousetrap for Orange Cassidy. That's uh, the ones that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, being able to have guys have a, uh, a shock roll-up win is a nice thing to have as a card in your deck. So, And I, I will say this. I, I don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing with those moves, because those are like, those are special kind of roll-ups. They're not... It's not a schoolboy, and you're grabbing the tights, man. Yeah, like it's it's a re- it's like a it's like the Mahi's roll. Move. Yeah, it's it's very tactical to have that, and because it's tactical, you can explain it in a lot of different ways. You can be like, oh, this is just tremendous strategy, and I think it's awesome. Um, yeah, I, it's I love cool. it. it. It still protects your other talent while not diminishing the winner like yeah it's just great stuff and for a guy who doesn't like to have people lose on television it's perfect um but i yeah this was a four-star match this was yeah i went four on this too yeah just a lot of fun and uh a great tv opener and a very nice start to the show uh to have some immediate action rather than some kind of uh drama you know some promoing or whatever you have Mm mm-hmm as Odie is trying to play with me as I'm recording. Odie, do, can't you see I'm working? The dog, this is, I swear. This is important shit, Odie. Get, hit the bricks. He's he's holding on to my arm while he's got a, uh, a stuffed animal toy in his mouth, and he just wants me to play with him. Um, nice. But uh, I thought this was interesting. Um, I also hated it, and I, I want your takes on it. Alex Marvez was trying to get a word on the condition of the Elite after Double or Nothing. Um, Matt Jackson says... The, um, BCC brings out with the work uh, out the worst in us. Nick Jackson, like Hangman said a few weeks ago, we are the heart and soul of this place. And Hangman, BCC relies on the numbers game, but then they were interrupted by the Dark Order, saying he's with his new best friends. But Alex Marvez asked if Kenny Omega was in Canada. Hangman was like, Omega wasn't there tonight. He's not in the country, but he's not in Canada either. And you know what that means? That fucker's going to Japan, and he's going to be at Dominion. I like. They're telling you. They're telling yeah. you he'll be at Dominion. Now, here's my question for you. One, why did you hate the Dark Order inclusion as much as I did? Because I don't think anybody cares about that. Two, do you think he's there for Osprey? Or do you think he's there to screw over Moxley against Okada? Oh, that's an interesting one. I hadn't considered the Okada-Moxley one. I actually didn't mind the the... Uh, Dark Order being involved here. I thought it kind of played into uh, what's been going on with them for months now with uh, Paige not really kind of not being affiliated with them or kind of blowing them off for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I actually kind of like that just for from a continuity standpoint. Um, as far as uh, what Omega is doing in Japan, it could very well to be to screw Moxley over, but I took it very much as he's bringing someone back, and I think the two Big names right now that it could be are uh, Okada or Ibushi uh, to do a multi-man tag against the BCC to even the odds opposite Takeshita uh, with his addition. Um, I, you know, that's we're dangerously close to fantasy bookings, and we don't really know at this point what's going to happen. But I do think that that was the purpose for the mention specifically, I think was to be like, Hey, uh, he's going to be coming back with, uh, with a big star probably for forbidden door to continue this feud is the 
the way I took it. I I just don't want more Dark Order stuff. Like he he was with them, they were friends. He's back with the elite. Let's just leave it at that. Like I I don't need more of this. I don't think anybody needs more of this. I think they're going to do something with them. I think uh, I don't think they're going to be like a top of the card act, but I think they this might be the impetus for a heel turn for them, which at least would give them something interesting to do and give them a uh, a mid card heel push. Um, I guess we'll see, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, I found this interesting. Uh, they did mention during this interview spot. Um, the exploded Jordan and how uh, Matt specifically talked about. I never thought I'd be um, potentially burning somebody's face off with a super kick, but the BCC brought it out of them. So I I found that inclusion very interesting. Um, And it's something that I'm going to, I'm going to be continuing to watch and like pay attention to because I'm I'm wondering where this all is going. If they're actually going to do blood and guts, if blood and guts isn't going to be a thing for this feud, if they're going to try and do something a little more dangerous, maybe they do like an exploding barbed wire death match blood and guts, like because it's John Moxley and Kenny Omega, and they will do anything they can to outdo themselves. Uh, I'm I, I'm still fully invested in this feud, and. I'm very intrigued to see what happens. Yeah, it'll be very interesting going forward. I, I would stay away from the exploding stuff that kind of has a bad name in AEW now. But yeah, they've only done it once, and it was great until the finale. So if you don't yeah. do a finale, it was phenomenal, and it was arguably a five star match until the finale. Yeah, but it's and got that finale. dark cloud over it, you know, from the failed explosion that looked really goofy. But you know, mm-hmm. but you live, you learn, and yeah. If yeah, I, I'm not I'm not necessarily arguing with you. I get it. This was my favorite segment on the show, though. Tony Schiavone goes down to the ring to interview Bullet Club, Club Golds, Juice Robinson, and Jay White. And um, I, I love this. I, I absolutely love this. Jay White is just such a shitbag. And he is a perfect Southern-style territory heel. And we know how much Tony loves Memphis. We saw that and we talked about it with the FTR match versus Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. Obviously, Jeff Jarrett being from the Memphis Territory, where his dad uh, ran shows for a long, long time. Um, Jay White, I bet Ricky Starks feels like he's on top of the world right now after eliminating me and Juice from the Blackjack Battle Royal, Dubber Nothing. But he's not the international champion. He lost the Battle Royal just like he lost to me. And then Juice, being Juice Robinson. Like, this is where things are just so great. In this company, uh, Juice Robinson was good in New Japan, but he could never quite be the guy that he is right now in New Japan. And he's just such a cartoonish son of a bitch. And he's just great. He's got those ridiculous glasses, the super flamboyant, but uh, really obnoxious trunks. And He's just got that voice where he goes rock hard and does that consistently. But he, he doesn't Ricky! Rock hard. Yeah, he does it with so many other things. Like, and he's like, that brings us to FTR. We know why FTR came to the aid of Ricky Starks. We all know Ricky ain't got no friends. And Jay White chimes at the end. FTR are Southern boys, so it's safe to assume they're a little slow. 
And have you seen them? They look dumb too. And they come out, confront them, and Juice Robinson, old school Juice Robinson, you know, you know that he had he went to the bank to go buy a roll of quarters to sock uh, Dax Harwood with. Awesome stuff. We're going to get a conclusion, hopefully, to the Jay White Ricky Starks feud next week on Dynamite, where all three of those other wrestlers are banned from ringside. And look, this was just an all time great segment. Jay White just being buddy buddy with Tony Schiavone, eating up the crowd, and Juice Robinson just being a flamboyant douchebag. This was, this was a five star segment. Yeah, I really like this a lot too. Um, I thought it was fantastic how, uh, Give me one second. Yeah, how um, Jay White specifically, uh, you know, both he and Juice Robinson, like using Tony Schiavone as a human shield, was very good. Um, Juice Robinson's pants are ridiculous. Um, but I thought this was a very good promo, and I think it's a nice way to uh, segue into the next FTR feud, which I assume will be with Jay White and Juice Robinson. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's uh, going to be very interesting. Who do you put over next week, Tyler? You have to put over Jay White. If you don't, you're going to get absolutely universally buried. But I also think that putting over Jay White, you can kind of uh, save Ricky Starks a little bit because Jay White is a cheating shitbag heel. Because yeah. Jay White is a cheating sh- shitbag heel, have him cheat. Have yeah, him cheat I, think, I think he's going to win by cheating. And he'll be like, oh, I didn't have Ricky couldn't have anyone uh, come out to help him out. And. You could have and, a, a new member of Bullet Club uh, join because mm-hmm. they specifically listed off who is banned. And they could have someone that is not listed join the group and help J.Y. win. And I, I wonder if, like, kind of fantasy booking here, and somebody brought it up in our office Slack last night, maybe that guy's Samoa Joe. Like, it, he, like if you remember, um, towards the end of his impact run, uh, the beatdown clan. So he's been positioned as kind of this heel before, and he could be that enforcer uh, that they don't really have. They have Juice, that they have Jay, two really good talkers and really good bell to bell guys. And obviously, Joe can still go to a point, but he is a big dude and he can be your enforcer. Um, I don't know if it necessarily fits. What, uh, how they're going to continue to grow Bullet Club Gold and Samoa Joe at this stage in his career. But I do find it fascinating how they're going to finish this off. I think a new member of Bullet Club Gold could make a lot of sense. It could also be something where you have, maybe they give Ricky the win and somebody from New Japan, maybe like an El Phantasmo comes in and screws Jay White. And that can continue Jay White's Japan arc because he's obviously done with New Japan, the company, because of the stipulations in his final two matches. But this could be maybe the beginning of him getting back where he can wrestle in Japan. And that starts a forbidden door. There's a lot of possibilities here. And creatively, I'm fascinated to see how Tony Khan books it. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Um, This whole feud, they've been afraid to really put over either Jay White or Ricky Starks. I think that's been a big part of why it's failed as a feud. So uh, this could be a big launching point for either guy. I think, I, I agree with you, you have to put Jay White over, I think. Uh, there's a couple of different directions you could go to like protect Ricky Starks a little bit, and I think they probably will. Uh, although I would prefer if they just did it straight, just because they've been doing a lot of bullshit recently. Uh, but Ricky yeah. Starks, um, I think, would be able to recover pretty quickly. 
he just needs a you know like a he he did not get a good follow-up to his win over jericho um and i you know i worry they're kind of dropping the ball with a couple guys him as far as strickland uh chief among them and uh i just hope that they get back on track with uh, pushing these guys yeah um I, I think one thing that uh i did forget to mention uh that jay white did say um before juice cracked dax with that uh a fistful of quarters um jay white was like I think FTR wants to join Bullets Club Gold. All you have to do is ask. Just make sure you do it politely. I thought that was a tremendous line. Um, great stuff. This, ne- this next bit was Tony Khan. And, man, he's not bad in these pre-tapes, but he just looks so stiff, uh, so nervous, almost like like somebody is, like, like pressing, like, like, a sword up against his back. Like, He'll get he. I don't expect him to be super loose like he is in some of those press conferences, but relax a little bit. It's okay. Um, he makes the announcement that AW Collision will feature CM Punk, and that's where you get the uh, initial cheers and then a very mixed reaction. And I found that mixed reaction fascinating, which we already talked about. Uh, so we won't give that a whole lot more time because that's how we open the show. This next match. It was the three-way match that stemmed from uh, the all, the international title Battle Royal. Swerve Strickland versus Big Bill versus Trent Beretta. And this was a Big Bill spotlight match. He was awesome. Um, like, Fred, I want your opinion on this. Swerve Strickland gets the win over uh, Trent Beretta, uh, which is the right call. It feels like they're building up. And it was announced later that we're going to get Swerve Strickland versus Orange Cassidy, and that could be the title change that we've been thinking is going to happen for a while. I think Big Bill needs to be used like Paul Heyman era Big Show, a monster, a final boss. Like uh, when they were building up John Cena, he was like the first real feud, and they ended up uh, crowning him as the United States champion at WrestleMania 20, and he was kind of like that final boss. And I want Big Bill to be used in a similar way. You never have to push him as a tippy-top guy. He can be a mid-card t- like champion. He can win the TNT belt. He can win the international title. And when you want to elevate a guy to the next level, they beat Big Bill. Big Bill is a much better worker than Big Show. Um, you, he just moves so much cleaner. And people will remember the big cast stuff from WWE and – like he's, I believe he's talked about it. Um, some of the demons he's battled along the way. He's just in tremendous shape. He's working really well. The charisma is there. And I think this guy deserves a real push. And you don't have to push him. Like like, like I said, you can just use him as like a final boss. But he's awesome. And he showed it the last few days where when, it, when you put him in a big spot, he just keeps delivering. Yeah, I think he's been amazing in this run, like relative to what I would have expected from him coming in. Um, Did you watch any of the W. Morrissey stuff in Impact? A little bit. He was solid there. Uh, but I think really he's good. Even, I think he's even above that now. Um, it's. I think he's having a fantastic uh, low-key run uh, series of performances in AEW. And yeah, they should use him more. Um, the problem with the company right now is they have so many guys 
that are really talented and it's hard to find spots for them all, but hopefully collision will help out with that and it'll actually be an A show so we can get these guys used properly. But yeah, uh, this was uh this was a blast. Big Bill looked like a murderer. That big boss slam he does every time just looks so good. Uh, he's got that down to a science and it's just such an impressive move. Um, you're, you're talking that spinning like sidewalk slam, right? That, yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. That's the big boss slam. Um, that big I, boss. I never really got to watch big boss man. Um, oh, so... he, he, um, I don't know that there's any real like four star matches with him, but he was a really impressive big guy for his era. Um, made Hogan look like a million bucks several times. Because he could bump like a like you would not believe for a guy of his size. Uh, but I digress. Um, yeah, um, this was a really solid match. I went three and three quarters on it. Um, just a real fun TV match. And it set up stuff going forward with Swerve. Um, I think that we'll see something with Big Bill going forward, I hope, again. Um, and Trent is a really solid mid-card worker. Really good, again. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part about Trent is he's... He's a goofy guy, but once he gets in the ring, he's not a goofy guy. He is yeah. a very serious worker. And I, my one of my favorite things in the history of this company is just it's really dumb. When Trent Beretta returns um, after, uh, I believe it was a neck injury, uh, comes back and he gets out of Mama Sue's van and gets, it gets a kiss on the cheek from her and comes out just like shaved head, ripped beyond belief, just ready to go kick some ass. That that is still one of my favorite moments in this company, and it's incredibly dumb. But who cares? Like this 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 company is like what WWE wants to be. It is a variety show, but it doesn't insult your intelligence, and it gives you a lot of different things. But it's all within the realm of pro wrestling, and it's not trying to be something else. Like I really appreciate that. Yeah, um, it's it does strike a nice balance usually. Let's continue on. Renee Paquette was on the ramp to interview the acclaimed and Daddy Ass. Um, Daddy Ass kind of talking about how he let down Caster and Bowens um, because he was the guy that got pinned. And I, I don't, I, I don't really know what this was. And I, I'm hoping you can shine light. Are they going to split from Daddy Ass? Is that what is that planting seeds here? Or are they just going to keep trying to get those trios titles so they can get Daddy Ass Gold? I, I, I really wasn't sure how to view this segment. It just it felt out of place a little bit. I wasn't sure either, and I kind of wondered if it meant they were going to go after the Ring of Honor six man titles because uh, I didn't think they would go back for the trios one, uh, the AW trios uh, so fast. Um, it doesn't feel right. Like I think the acclaimed are too big to put on Ring of Honor, to be honest at least full time, but it was a thought I had. Um, but I, I, I do think that it's, I don't know that it's like necessarily setting up a turn, like, like starting it, but they could head down that path for sure. Um, I just would not, I don't know. I, 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 I think it's more of a Billy Gunn might be retiring in the not too terribly distant future uh, thing than a, the acclaimed are going to stab Billy, Billy Gunn in the back. Because I don't think you can turn the acclaimed heel right now. I think they're way too hot, uh, even now. Yeah, especially with uh, Max Caster's raps somehow getting better and better and better. I just like, can't imagine the crowd booing them. No, I I can't either. Um, I can't. It's you're spot on. I don't think that they're going to get booed for a long time. 
And I'll never forget being in the building for that match against Swerve in Our Glory at All Out. That was the hottest I've ever I've ever been. Like the, the crowd has ever been. Yeah. Like it, it was when I've been in the live crowd is what I mean. Like I was at the Bell Pop Rokata Tanahashi at the G1. I was at All Out 2021 where you got the debut of Punk and you got like the that, that was the in-ring debut. And you got the actual debuts of both Adam Cole and Brian Danielson in like a five minute span. Yeah. The acclaimed Swerving Our Glory match is the loudest I've ever heard a crowd in professional wrestling. That was in person, special. right? Yeah, that was special. Um, you could feel it in the building, the how how the, the VOW suite was just going and going and going. Like it was it was a special moment in time. And I'm glad that they were able to recapture it somewhat two weeks later at Grand Slam, but they almost missed it. I and we talked about it. They should have called an audible, but it ended up working out in the end, which honestly is what's the most important. Yeah. Let's continue on here. This was one of the greatest segments in the history of modern day American pro wrestling. You want to talk about talk about loud crowds, buddy. Oh, buddy. I had a I had a friend who was front row for the show. Um, he was actually on the corner where uh, the Blackpool Combat Club came out. Um, and oh, buddy. Tony Schiavone in the ring to interview Kanosuke Takesha and Don Callis. And Don Callis is just a tremendous worker. He knows this crowd hates him, and he plays into it. And he lets them seethe and cope. And, oh, was this good. Um, He's like, I sincerely hope those boos are for Kenny Omega. I am the real victim here. Like, this is just all-time great stuff. And then Takeshita. Looks like he he just all of a sudden inherited the charisma Masawa overnight, like, and and he wasn't charismaless. He had it, but yeah. this is just he looks like a different pro wrestler, and I mean that in a very positive way. And I love that he just started speaking Japanese because like one of the best heel things you could do is just speak a language nobody's gonna understand because it's like oh I don't care if you you understand it I do. Like, yeah. um, like, uh, Kenny Omega can speak Japanese, but during a lot of his heel run in Japan, he refused to because he was a heel and that was a good way to get heel heat. And at the end, he said in English, we will destroy the elite. We will destroy Kenny Omega. But I think the most important thing from this is he lists out who, uh, Takesha is better that. And he explicitly said he's better than okada and kenny not being in canada but being out of the country and better than okada kenny also mentioned um that he has two friends like in a a post-show promo that he did at double or nothing he has two friends outside of AEW to help him out one of them i bet is kazuchika okada Mm -hmm. and they're planting these mega seeds right now like Mm -hmm. this was this was a five-star segment and this is I perfect. Don't, I, yeah, perfect is the great way to describe it. Uh, this was one of the best crowd reactions I've ever heard. They just hated this man. It, it really cannot be understated. Uh, the next time you hear about like Dominic Mysterio getting big heat, um, you know, with the the hair dryers going off in the background, I just think of this promo because this is this is like legitimate, super loud heat. Um, 
it's just it was wild it was amazing uh don Callis looks like a, a vintage uh fisher price little person um and like just ranting about the uh the the scar and how omega broke up his family and blaming omega for everything great stuff great stuff don Callis is such a ter- such a great terrible person oh he's he's so so good and early on in this company we kind of whined and complained about how many how many older wrestlers were getting so much screen time like arn anderson with cody tully blanchard with the multiple acts that he was with um jake the snake roberts with um lance Ar- or lance archer but i'll tell you i really appreciate them using some of the older talent and this is just perfect yeah, Callis I, I never really had an issue with them bringing in uh, the the veterans as managers. I think some of them didn't exactly uh, hit a home run every time out. But yeah, Callis is okay. Another we we, we brought up Vince's failures and just his like kind of predilection to not like managers. Uh, the idea that like you could have Don Callis around and be like, mm, we don't need this guy on TV. Like, just think about that. That's wild. Like this guy is is an all time great promo, and this was just um just a wild wild uh, promo. Just a great great everything was great. It was, and then we move on to Wardlow backstage with Arn Anderson, and Wardlow says, "I think Luchasaurus found out not to get involved in our business. You want to be an excellent Luchasaurus? I'll be more than happy to finish the job." You know, he's with Arn Anderson, and they're letting Wardlow talk a lot. I don't understand. Like, you have Arn right there, who's a really good talker. And Wardlow, like, he's not? Like, I, I think he, I think you need to tone down how much Wardlow is talking and amp up how much Arn is. Because, honestly, I think it's hurting Wardlow how much he's talking because he's just not that good at it. Yeah, um, it's. I, I don't think this is a good act. I, I just am not feeling this. I don't think it's a real success. No. Um, and that's kind of a bummer. Uh, Wardlow, I don't know. Every day I feel like we're getting further and further from the best case scenario of Wardlow. I just don't think he's going to be the huge success that we all thought when he initially, you know, was... T- was at the very end of teasing the face turn and then the actual face turn against MJF. I think that mm-hmm. we're just so far off of that. And I don't think we're ever going to re- uh, recover from that. And that's one of my big complaints about Tony Khan's booking is he gets these younger guys set up for a big thing and then he kind of just lets them chill on the back burner. And that's the exact wrong time to do it. Uh, you can you can let a established guy... Like Miro is not going to be hurt one bit whatsoever when he comes back. Uh, it's Miro. But- yeah, he's Miro. He's what he's going to be. Can you heat he's him already, up more? He's been established, though. I, yeah, I think that's, that's my point. Idea. Yeah, that's the that's the main thing. He's been established. Um, and Wardlow was not really established. Like they had they been working on him since day one of the company. Yes, but he also is not a guy with like a long track record and established name value. So yeah. that's the kind of guy that you really need to get behind and stay behind. And they kind of, I worry about the same thing with Swerve Strickland, who, yes, has been around for quite a while, but he's never been like that level of TV star. Um, and, you know, they've let him chill very much over the, the start of this year. 
Um, we're almost halfway through the year, and it's still like, well, we're still really waiting on the follow-up to the Keith Lee Swerve Strickland breakup, you know. Um, and I think that's probably the worst thing that Tony Khan does booking-wise. They should have kept Wardlow built up like Goldberg, and he just comes out and is a, an absolute ass kicker. And I think since the MJF match, because we're a year out now, it happened at Double or Nothing 2022. And you can blame MJF for some of that with, uh, will I show up? Will I not? Mm-hmm. Um, taking away all the heat. Oh, yeah. And obviously, MJF still came in, did the job, and did it well, but it really hindered that for M- for Wardlow and they really just should have booked him like Goldberg and they should have continued to do so and then eventually you can feel comfortable putting him in more cohesive matches but the Goldberg gimmick was working really well and I, I don't quite understand why you took him out of that so soon it I don't think any of us would have done that mm-hmm. and it's it's honestly really frustrating because it was a really good act that was working and you don't have to go away from what's working. Just let him do the powerbomb symphony. Yeah. And call it a day. Yeah, just have him be a big mean guy. You know, he doesn't need to keep squashing people because that does, I think we very much saw with him and Jay, that does have like a upper limit to how long you can do that with someone and keep them as over as they initially caught off their squashes. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's hard to not look at him and... Um, be like we really you know they could have had him win a lot more mean guy matches you know just have him yeah sell a little bit just because you have to to basically but have him essentially kill people and uh you know be awesome as hell yeah um we'll see how this continues to grow and develop with wardlow i'm not holding my breath but we'll see um Next up, we have the AEW, AEW International Champion Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen versus the Mogul Embassy's Gates of Agony, Count and Toa Leona. One, the Mogul Embassy is stupid. Just call it the Embassy. That's what it is. Um, it's a, it's yeah. a goofy name for sure. Yeah. Um, just call it the Embassy, please. Um, two, the Gates of Agony worked really, really hard in this match. They were awesome. This was um, awesome. Yeah, this was a four-star tag match. And, like, Darby Allen did all of his crazy spots. They bumped like hell for these two. And this was fantastic. Um, Darby Allen gets the win with um, the coffin drop. And then I believe he also did the Last Supper um, to finish it off. Like, this was just awesome. Um, they looked great. Everybody worked really hard. But I'm wondering what, what this was meant. This was obviously meant to set up uh, – continue that setup with swerve and orange cassidy but the inclusion of darby allen i thought was very interesting here are they potentially setting up a tag run for these two down the line or a future feud um yeah i don't know which it'll be um but i do know this match was amazing i actually i love this match so much um i i think this was uh the best match on the show um i just love this match i went four and a quarter stars on it um, the uh, uh, Leone, or I'm sorry, Leona, uh, looked uh, so much like a world beater in this. That's like this guy, you know, he they have to be moved away from just Ring of Honor TV doing short squashes or what, whatever it is they're doing over there that no one's watching because they're just too damn good to be there. This ruled, 
yeah, it was great. Um, I, I, yeah. Um, my favorite part is at the end of the match, the Mogul Embassy, which is still a stupid name, uh, surrounds the ring, and they're going to take out Orange and Darby, and Sting's music hits, and you just get Tony Savani. It's Sting! <laughs> it's when he debuted in the company, he did that, and he's done it every other time since, and it's never gotten annoying. It's always been endearing because Tony Schiavone's like your your cool, like crazy uncle, and it's just great. Sting comes out looking like a badass. He he's still in great physical shape. He's still Sting. It's just awesome. I love it. Uh, you really can't get a lot better than than Sting and how he's used in this company right now. Yeah, he's still, I mean, great at the face paint and everything. The t-shirts help, but he still looks like a badass. Yeah. Well, he, he does, his body looks fine. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's not, it's not like 1990 surfer sting body. Oh, no. He's, but... he's not in that great of shape. But for being six, I believe he's 62, he's in tremendous shape. Like, it, not a lot of flab. He's He just, he looks like he could still kill you. And yeah. that is more important than actually being able to do so. I, yes. Like, it's just great. Um, next up, I thought was a very intriguing segment that I think is is planting a lot of seeds here. Tony Schiavone was in the ring with um, FTW champion Hooks music hits. Oh, we're and, not mentioning the MJF promo? The only MJF appearance on the show, actually? Oh, um, well, and the AEW results page, they don't even show. Interesting. That. And that's he, how he, I he, use my notes. Well, <laughs> what a loser you are for not taking... Uh, uh, notes through the entire show, like me, a truly dedicated. Yeah, I'm just kidding. With you. Um, That's why okay. I have you as a podcast host. This is this or give and take. I edit, you give the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. So MJF did do a little uh, pre-tape promo here, uh, saying that they are running out of gladiators for him to slay, and says uh, they're running out of people that they that people say are better than him, and you know it, and nobody is on the level of the devil. And it's very interesting to me. I, I don't bring this up so much to discuss this segment because it was like a, a mini MJF promo. It was a well-done video package. Totally fine. Pretty good. Um, but I bring it up because it's very interesting to me that um, after you know his world title defense uh, and the conclusion of the Four Pillars match, that this is all we got of, uh, of MJF this week. And that's probably all we're going to get this week. And it, I don't know. I, I'm not saying it means anything. I don't think it does. It's just interesting. I think it's a little interesting. I wonder if that's setting up a, a potential challenger for Forbidden Door. And I'm trying to link, uh, like, kind of what he said, like, like with the devil aspect, trying to think of, like, who could it be? Because, one, it would have to be somebody New Japan's comfortable losing with one-on-one because right. there's no way that they're beating MJF for the title. Exactly. Um, like, I think you, you – like, do you want to do Tanahashi Punk? It could be Tanahashi. Um, because that could that would be a really good way to sell tickets. And Tanahashi is at the point in his career he can lose like a drum. Um, Kenta um, quote tweeted the announcement of CM Punk on Collision says, I'm free June 17th. So Kenta um, Punk, it's about 15 years later than we would have wanted it to happen. But that could be really, really good. Yeah. Uh, because they're both such brilliant storytellers in the ring. And you can get around some of those athletic limitations. But I'm... I'm trying to rack my brain on who would be a really good challenger. And I'm, I'm not sure who that would be, but I, I think it could be a lot of fun. Like maybe, 
maybe it's a guy like Tai Chi, uh, who is popular in the West and can lose, and it's no problem. Yeah, I don't know. It's very intriguing. Um, I do think MGF is not going to be near the main event of this card of Forbidden Door. Uh, it's just not an MGF show, I don't think. That's not anything on him uh, as a star or draw or anything like that. Um, but I, I, I'm going to float something, which I don't really believe myself, but I think is it's a low probability possibility, is how I would put it. I, I do wonder if there's a chance MGF just does not appear on that show. I don't think that'll be the case, but I could see it. I can reason where they'd be like, I don't really see, you know, you could kayfabe him refusing to wrestle someone from New Japan. And uh, I don't know, like just again, not, not something I'm actually pushing as what will happen or what have you, but just kind of interesting. I thought to think about. Yeah. I, I think there's a high probability that, and even though we're talking about MJF defending the title, there's a probability that neither the IWGP or the AEW world titles get defended. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily a big issue because this is like a super card. You don't need to have those titles defended. And obviously no. they did the four way um, for the IWGP last year, which was a good match. Um, unfortunate finish for a lot yeah. of reasons. Um, and then they had to crown a new AEW world champion because of CM Punk. Uh, but if it's like, how big of a draw is Sonata going to be in the West? Um, if Suji, Yoda Suji, somehow wins his first match back in New Japan proper and wins the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, do you want him defending it in the West right away? Uh, I think there's so many layers to it, and it's it's a fascinating discussion. We'll talk more about uh, some Forbidden Door predictions here later on, but this is how this card builds is going to be really, really interesting. For sure, yeah. It, it is going to be, uh, I think, a super interesting uh, month. Yeah. All right, let's continue on. And as I was mentioning earlier, before I got so rudely interrupted by um, <laughs> Fred MJF Moreland, um, Tony Schiavone was in the ring with Hook, or he was in the ring when Hook's music hit. And he asks, um, what's next for Hook after helping the Hardys on Sunday? Jose, the assistant, interrupts with Drillistico and Preston Vance. And they swarmed Hook until after talking about how they have so little TV time. Till Jungle Boy Jack Perry ran out to even the odds. And I thought this was fascinating for two reasons. One, Jungle Boy dressed in all black. Yes. Two, he said he was going to win a, a title, single title by the end of the year. Could that Correct. be the FTW title? You wonder. It's not impossible. Um Especially if you want to take Hook to a different level because taking that FTW title off him in a similar way to what they did with Ricky Starks could end up being a benefit for him long-term. Yeah, I, I you know, there's a, you can float. I, I think they're setting up a Jack Perry heel turn. I think that's been clear for the past couple weeks at a minimum. Uh, I think they kind of started teasing that in the build to, um, to this... Uh, to the, to the four pillars match as I lose my train of thought, sorry. Uh, but I also think that it could very easily be that he and Hook team again, and afterwards uh, Perry turns on him. Uh, one, his mentor is Christian Cage, who uh, is the master of the heel turn. And two, I mean, I think that he needs that to be like, to see if they can make him a true main eventer. Uh, he needs a little more interest. He needs to be a little more interesting. And uh, 
I don't think that just vanilla babyface Jack Perry is going to do it to get him there. Yeah, I agree completely. This is going to be a fascinating um, route to see what uh, he ends up doing. Um, yeah, we'll find out. Um, next, Renee Paquette was backstage new AEW World Women Champion Tony Storm and the Outcast. Saray and Ruby Soho. Um, we look around. At, this is Tony Storm. We look around at the locker room. There's no one good enough to carry my bags. I'm defending this championship at House Rules this weekend. I don't know who she's defending the title against, but and, I mean, it's uh, it's good that they're they're in, they're like talking about title matches, and I'd like to see a title change hands at one of these shows once, um, just to show that they can. I know WWF used to do it a lot in the early '90s. They Kevin Nash beat Bob Backlund at MSG in like 30 seconds to win his first world title. It was and Bret Hart's I, first title win over Ric Flair. Um, yep. There was the accidental. I, do you know the story of uh, Men on the Mission accidentally winning the Tag Team Championship? No, but that sounds fascinating. Uh, let, me, let me double check that myself on this because uh, um, I don't want to be wrong, but I'm already, I guess I already stuck myself out over the uh, the skis here, so I'm going to proceed with the story. This was when the Quebecers were the tag team champions uh, in the early, like 1993-ish. And, um, and this had... Uh, I really struggled to find it. God bless. Um, there we are. Yeah, so they had... Um, they, it was uh, Jacques and uh, he would become PCO. Uh and they were facing men on a mission. Yeah, this was, uh, there it is, 1994. And this is the story I've always heard. I don't know if it's true, but in 1994, the story is that in one house show in London, that for some reason, Mabel, who went on to be Big Daddy V, Viscera, um, uh, for some reason, like, fell on one of the Quebecers, and the Quebecer couldn't shoot kick out, and it was a pin. And so they gave Men on the Mission a two-day uh, World Tag Team Championship run. And I don't know, that always just kind of cracked me up. Just a very funny visual of Mabel, who was just absolutely massive, uh, accidentally shoot winning a title. That's fascinating. That is fascinating. Um, let, let's uh, let's move forward. TBS o Championship Open Challenge. So it looks like Chris Statlander is going to continue on with this gimmick. Um, she takes on Nyla Rose, who has not been on TV, it feels like, in months. Um, Lady Kane. Good old yeah. defense number one, Nyla Rose, which is her role in this company now, it feels like. Hey, no, nothing wrong with that. She is a no, no. solid worker, but you would have hoped, based on how they built her up initially, that she could have taken that next step. She hasn't been able to. Um, also I think. I think she's just. I think she's losing athleticism at this point. Uh, just to be she blunt. is. She is over forty, which is yeah. surprising. But yeah, Odie just came in and and he ate some stuffing because he's a little fucker. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah, um, Odie likes. So he has two dog beds. He has chewed them up so much that it's just become all stuffing, and he oh, just Odie. takes it out. Yeah, he's just the sweetest little boy, but he is uh, uh, what a little goober. Yeah, he's uh, mom just left for work, and um, he is just rambunctious right now. So I have to keep an eye on him. But 
Um, I don't remember what I was talking about. Oh, um, Nyla Valkyrie. Yeah. Um, yeah, Nyla is just you. They positioned her as this monster initially. She was the second women's world champion. The hope was that she could kind of grow and develop a little bit with some some major league training, but she just never got there. And honestly, that's okay. Um, she she was very good in the in the roles that she was positioned in, but putting her with Vicky was the death sentence, unfortunately. Yeah, I think I think uh, Nyla looked a little better here than she had in the last time I saw her a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Um, I don't know, man. I thought that this was decent. Um, it wasn't good. It wasn't great. But I went two and three quarters on it. It was a perfectly acceptable TV match. Um, Statlander looked pretty good in what she was able to do. And, uh, yeah, I thought thumbs up on this one. Yeah. This like as is, far uh, as just as an overall, like, you know, thing that happened, I guess. Gentlemen's three. Um, yeah. what do you think of Statlander's new gear? I think it's awesome, but I also think it's very odd that she has her name right across her chest like just just in gear gear like that just feels really odd to me am i just overthinking things like i I didn't even notice it to be honest i I don't remember anybody having their name plastered like right across uh, like maybe on the trunks like aj styles has his like logo and and you've had other wrestlers who have their name on their trunks but i've never seen anybody with something on the on top um, yeah. whether it be a man or a woman with their name outside of like t-shirt Naito. Uh, that, I don't that's know. Different. I didn't even notice it to be completely honest. Uh, I just didn't really cross my mind, I guess. That, that that's probably just a me thing and that's okay. Um, yeah, but Taya Valkyrie was watching backstage um, and looks like she may be continuing after that TBS title. Um, yeah. I don't know. And we've been very high on Valkyrie, considering what her our expectations of her work going in. But I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens because I don't know if uh, um, Chris Statlander's up for carrying somebody, um, like kind of where she's at. It she's obviously still really fresh off the injury. Um, we'll see. This is going to be an interesting uh, development with the CBS title, which I would guess is staying on Dynamite. And the world cha- women's world championship will go over to Kalisto because obviously, um, but nobody really knows. Yeah, it'll be. It's definitely intriguing. Yeah, um, main event time mixed tag match: Yosho, Chris Jericho, and Soraya versus Doctor Britt Baker, DMD, and Adam Cole. And Adam Cole and Britt Baker come out in matching baby face, baby blue, and white uh, gear. Um, I'll be honest. This is way better than I was expecting it to be. I almost gave this four stars. This was fun. It yeah. was it was brutal. It was violent. The Britt Baker Chris Jericho spots were awesome. Where Britt actually had um, I, I can't remember what her what her uh, finishing submission is called. The lockjaw. The lockjaw. She had the lockjaw on Jericho, and Jericho sold it like a million bucks. Look, they need to push Jericho, and they need to get him some big wins because. He loses too much. He does. And he really does. They're, they're just less impactful. Um, I have no problem with him losing twice to Adam Cole. Obviously, Tony Khan has big plans for Adam Cole, and we've kind of seen that since he came into the company. He's always been pushed in a top position, and it wouldn't shock me if he was world champion in the next couple of years. But you, you, beating Chris Jericho like a drum is fine, but if he loses too much, those wins become less impactful. 
And yeah. I want to see, I want to see him in a feud where he wins. Put him in a feud where he wins, and then get him like a couple feuds that he wins. Have him challenge for the title and lose. Like that, that's kind of how I would just build him back up. He's a perfect like non pay per view title challenger at this point. Like he can still go, he can still tell a story in the ring. He's not physically great anymore, but he's still got the cachet, especially with this fan base, to be able to do that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he does need a, a, a win of some sort, though, and uh, that's going to be the interesting one to figure out, though, is don't you think? Because it's just going to be where can we slot him in exactly to to get, for mm-hmm. him to beat a guy that it won't really hurt that guy, but to help him out. Lee Moriarty. I think it probably has to be higher up the card than Lee Moriarty, don't you think? Uh, You're probably right. Um, that'll be something we can think about and and kind of see how it ends up going as Odie is being a little demon outside of my office. I just hope he's not chewing on my flip-flop like he was earlier. Um, yeah, this will be fascinating. Um, yeah. Overall, this is just a great show, Fred. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, man. Yeah. All right. So we're going to finish the show off here. I want three forbidden door predictions from you, Fred. Okay. He is actually doing on my flip-flop, so I'll be back in a moment. <laughs> okay, so my predictions. Uh, let's see how much I can vamp for Tyler to get back, though. I guess he's got his earbuds in so he can hear me. Um, uh, my first prediction is that we will see a multi-man tag between the BCC and the Elite involving choose one of Okada or Bushi as the... Uh, air quotes, surprise uh, addition to the babyface side. Uh, secondly, um, hmm, let's see. I feel like I've kind of run out of steam already. Um, well, I'm there, getting... why don't I give one? Yeah, sure. Um, Orange Cassie versus Hiromu Takahashi. Oh, that would that would and, be awesome. And, um, and I know this necessarily wouldn't be the sexiest matchup, and it wasn't when he got to face Will Ospreay. I gave that match five stars. And Osprey worked well with some of the gimmick bullshit that Cassidy does that is is a mixed bag. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes like, okay, dude, you're a serious wrestler, but you act like this. Like, it's it's weird for some people. And I think Hiromu, with his antics, would embrace the shenanigans. And I think bell to bell, they could potentially have a five-star match like Cassidy and or uh, Will Osprey did last year. I think it would be a really nice mix of talent. And especially if Orange Cassidy loses the international title to Swerve next week, he can eat a loss because the whole story that they told throughout this title reign was he's beaten and battered. And it's like him losing makes sense in kayfabe and it doesn't hurt him. And you can get Hiromu a big match in the States and he can win. Like I, I think it would be really cool, and it, from a KFA perspective, also makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think we're going to get a uh, David Finley uh, championship match, probably him defending the Never Open Weight against um, I don't know who from. Uh, that's that's the interesting one because I feel like we're we just haven't even started the build yet, so it's really hard to say. But I do think we're going to get that. Mm-hmm. I'm that's very curious. What's that? That's why this is fun. Oh yeah, yeah, that's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, um, and I'm very curious what um what's going to happen with Sonata. 
um, assuming that he keeps the World Championship, because honestly, I wouldn't be terribly opposed to putting Yoda Suji over him. I just think that might work as a shock title yeah. win. Uh, and I mean, the G one's coming up, so it's not like Suji has to really draw much, and then you could have him lose like in you know October, November after the G one's over. Um, I don't know. I, I'm very excited to see it though. It should be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Um, so your second prediction is going to be David Finley defenses title. Yeah, I mean, it's a very weak prediction, but I feel very weak on predicting stuff right now. Um, I'm going to take it a different direction. I, I don't think it will be um, Okada in some kind of tag match. I think it's just going to be Moxley versus Okada. Yeah, and that could happen. They've been planting seeds for a while. It, I, I'll give my third prediction right now, too. Um, I think it, either leading up to or on this show, Shooter joins the Blackpool Combat Club on an official level and not just um, Blackpool Combat Club adjacent. That makes sense. I, I could see that happening for sure. What's your final prediction, Fred? And then we'll we'll take off for the evening. Oh, God. Um, As I'm I say, take... it's at 1030 in the morning. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take it in a different direction. Uh, Hiromu versus Darby. Uh, Hiromi was very disappointed to not be able to work opposite um, opposite Sting last year because I think uh, he had COVID that kept him out of the country. Uh, but the idea of Hiromu and uh, Darby is just a very appealing one to me. So a little more wish yeah. casting than a prediction, but hell, I'll do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is this is going to be a really fun build, and it's going to start at Dominion this Sunday morning i believe it's gonna be 3 a.m eastern time i could be wrong on that um uh some of these japan shows they started at significantly um different times um but it's it's gonna be a lot of fun i'm i'm very excited to see what this bill becomes and how they continue to grow and we're gonna be here for it yeah i'm very excited for all of it Absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter at the real Forno, my uh, Vikings work at the Vikings wire and at Vikings first goal, which uh, also has links to my YouTube channel there and in the sh- show notes. And you can follow Fred at flagrant wrestling because Ted Turner rocks and that uh, you can uh, subscribe to his Patreon also in the show uh, notes. And you, you actually can follow- cannot, you cannot right now because it is on vacation for the next month. Well, you can follow it now, and then you'll end up paying it <laughs> later when he is not on vacation anymore. I recommend you do so. You can follow the show at GoodBadHungy on Twitter. Email us at HungyPod at gmail.com. You can also talk to us um, via Twitter DMs or in the Voice of Wrestling Discord, where we have our own channel. And that is it. If you are listening to us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, Thank you very much. We also ask that you subscribe to our own personal feed. You can just search the good, the bad, and the hungry. Hit that subscribe button and help us out as we are continuously highly ranked in the country of Turkey. Um, we appreciate all of our Turkish listeners and hope to be number one in, consistently in the world of professional wrestling. Thank you very much for listening. For Fred, I'm Tyler. Thank you very much. Take it easy. Hello everyone, my name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the number one show all about the world 
of Joshi Pro Wrestling. Episodes drop every other Monday where we discuss the biggest Joshi news, review shows, and preview the hottest upcoming Joshi action. So whether you're a new fan or an old fan, we've got something here for you at Jumping Bomb Audio. Check us out on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network.